Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening is Peter Rutzler. The first silverware has been handed out in French football, but who lifted the Coupe de la Ligue trophy? And who drowned their sorrows by downing as many Easter eggs as they could? All that and the league and weekend too after the latest headlines. Paris Saint-Germain sealed the first trophy of the season as they beat Monaco 3-0 in the Coupe de la Ligue final. The victory didn't come without some controversy with a Radamel Falcao goal being ruled out for offside with the Parisians two up, even with the aid of VAR. But an Edison Cavani brace either side of an Angel Di Maria finish ensured the first part of a potential domestic trouble was at the back. In Ligue 1, Marseille came through a tricky away tie against Dijon with a 3-1 win. The home side were reduced to 10 men late on as Cedric Yambare saw red, but Loem will be sweating over the fitness of Stevman Donder ahead of the Europa League clash with RB Leipzig on Thursday as he missed part of the game. Sunday's early match saw Gangomp end a run of six winless matches as Clermont Grenier scored a beautiful free kick in their 2-1 win against Bordeaux as the special Sunday multiplex was headlined by an enormous 1-0 win for Amiens at a very quiet Lille, obviously playing behind closed doors, plunging their hopes of further, well, plunging them at least further in the mire with Christophe Galtier even questioning his own future with the club. Elsewhere, Saint-Étienne are now unbeaten in nine as they won 3-0 away at Nantes, with Leverre now just three points off that fifth position. That place is currently being held by Montpellier, who beat Caen 3-1, which allowed them to leapfrog Rennes, who play on Wednesday against Monaco. Strasbourg and Metz shared the points, goals and red cards as their two-all draw finished with 10 men a side in the derby, while Trois continued to tread water as an Alessand player double helped Nice to a victory at the Stade de Lobe. In the final match of the weekend, Lyon maintained their pressure on third place as they ran out 2 new winners against Toulouse. Two Memphis Depay goals gave them a comfortable lead, but Legon still gave their fans a few scary moments in the second half before victory was assured. And that's all for your news. But for all the latest in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. Start this week with the set piece event at the Mahmoud Al Antique, where PSG flexed their muscles once again, Peter. Um, it was a pretty interesting game, but it did end up being very one sided in a way. Were they just too good on the day for the Monagas to handle? Uh, yeah, uh, on, yeah, definitely on the one side. I think we've seen, uh, we saw PSG at, at their best. Um, showing what they, what they can offer and uh, stepping up on the big occasion to add a yet another Coupe de la Ligue title. I think that's five in a row now. Um, so it's definitely their their trophy. Um, I think, yeah, it's partly to do with, with how good PSG were and, and especially how good Kylian Mbappe was as well, uh, which is really promising for, for France going towards the World Cup, his recent form. But also there, there are some questions to be asked of the way Monaco set up, uh, why, for instance, uh, Jardim decided to put uh, to switch Ronnie Lopez and, and Lamar to what we would probably term as their unfamiliar flanks. Um, but I think in, in general, it would probably do a disservice to overlook the fact that, that PSG are that much better than, than Monaco this season. And, especially compared to last. Um, we've talked about all season of how Monaco have been through transition. And, and, and while Monaco have been in excellent league form and have looked to really establish themselves as the, you know, the, the staple second place side, it was a bit, I think we, we, we could see the, the golfing class last night. There were players who have had, you know, somewhat quiet seasons like uh, Julian Draxter, who really, really did perform. Um, Monaco could have probably tested them a little bit more. And I think obviously the early goal was key. But um, I think in general, we're looking at, you know, PSG showing that they are 
at that level above uh, this year and, and, and they were fully deserving on the night. Um, they were excellent going forward, especially for Mbappe down that, that right-hand side. And that that's the funny thing with Cavani obviously scoring the two goals. He maybe takes the headlines, but the real man of the match really, and I think it was pretty clear, was Kylian Mbappe. And he was tremendous in, in, in a big part of all three goals. He he went on that wonderful, wonderful Maisie run for the first goal that rightfully was given eventually as a as a penalty. They were sort of debating whether the, the free that that foul on by Glick came before the quote unquote pass to, to Rabio that obviously the uh, the midfielder was offside but it was a terrific little bit of a run and uh, the same for the second one he he does that little burst of pace that that sort of frightening aspect of him he's almost like a cheater where he sort of accelerates unbelievably in that 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 sort of first 10 yards he just absolutely obliterated the Monaco midfield with with one sudden burst and then an unbelievable little ball to to Di Maria to finish and then was a little bit of a part of that final goal for Cavani to to seal things had a couple of chances himself a good save from from Subasic to really stop him as well but he was yeah he was absolutely excellent on the evening and showed exactly um, why he's such a big player and what he seems to really love playing against Monaco which I bet uh, really pleases their fans and their, their and the, his former teammates that um, he seems to really get up for the games against the, themselves and uh, show his qualities as well but yeah he was by far and away I think the best player on a night where um, PSG just looked pretty comfortable for a lot of it and in the end Peter they'll be very delighted to get that result out of the way because as we mentioned that in the news that the, they are now on for that domestic treble and this was probably out of the three the big question mark having to face Monaco obviously in the final the league looks like it's almost wrapped up that can be um, won in the next couple of games and obviously with the the Coupe de France it's they've got well, a relatively winnable tie, you may you may say, in the next round, and the, and then um, the, if if they get through that tie in the semi-finals, they'll face a league, well a national side in the final. So um, there's a great chance there, really, <laughs> undeniably, to win that. So um, although it does look like on Iemra's last season, it will be a positive point for them that it looks like at least the domestic side of things will be will be wrapped up for them now. Yeah, I think it, the Coupe de la Ligue has essentially confirmed the treble. I think it'd be one hell of a shock if, if one of the, the national sides can upset the apple cart or Les Herbiers or Chambly. I mean, that would be a bit of breath of fresh air for sure from the, the PSG domestic dominance. But yeah, it, it, you know, they're, they're, they're all set for that treble that we, we pretty much predicted at the start of the season. I think the only uncertainty for them was how well they would do in Europe and, and it hasn't worked out. Um, obviously, there's talk of... Thomas Tuchel coming in, which is just screams of it being another manager to come in and will be dis- will be gone in a year and a half. Um, I'm pretty sure, but I think for for I think from Monaco's perspective, it, it's a it's a trophyless season. I think uh, Vasiliev was asked this afterwards, and I don't think they can be overly disappointed with with um, with how the game panned out. And um, while of course it's, it's it's a final and anything can happen, you know, it's it's you are playing a, a really good. Paris Saint-Germain's side and I think when we, we talk about the questions really like, that um, can be asked of them on the night I think playing Raji at, at fullback was definitely one I think it was quite interesting in the in the other game between these two in the league I think it was 2-1 they still got to play each other if I'm not mistaken mm. um, Raji had a wretched game I mean it was part of a back three and it was a bit unusual and Jardine didn't want to test that again but uh, you know it's it's when you're playing someone like Mbappe, who's one of his strongest assets is his pace and his ability to go beyond people. He's he's an extremely fast thinker. Um, he's one step ahead all of the time. And I think it was like the second minute and, and Mbappe's just let fly down that right-hand side and just left him for dust. It was just, you just knew what was going to happen <laughs> for the rest of the game. And I think it was also the part that, that it was quite negative in that when the way that he set up, Jardim, with, with Ronnie Lopez on the left, cutting it onto the right, and then Lamar on the right cutting into the left. I think that's the, the idea. It let, meant that on that left-hand side, where they could have been more effective, they, they had sort of a blunt instrument. I mean, it wasn't dreadful going forward, Raji. I mean, we don't want to... We always seem to... He is one to go to when they have a, a defeat, isn't he? Um, but, you know, he doesn't offer that that that, that pace or uh, that excitement to really test Dani Alves, who, to be honest, is, you know, he's a bit past. I think he's treating PSG a little bit like a retirement home in a way. Um 
in that you know he's been good but you know it's, it's we saw in Europe and we've seen at different times uh, throughout the season you think to against uh, Toulouse against Gradel and, and 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 so forth and you think um, that he's one to be tested you know this is a PSG side that can be got at um, and and we didn't really see that and I think in midfield too which was the other side of the coin was Tielemans had his chance at in the middle at the top of the triangle which we've been calling for because that's where he played at, at Anderlecht but you know he was yeah, I mean, he had a couple of snapshots didn't he in the first half that went over the bar which you think you know on his from what he's capable of you you, you should be testing trapping goal so I think there I mean of course behind him with Moutinho and Fabinho whilst they were okay I think the two of them didn't really hold midfield in the way that I think Jardim would have wanted of course they're chasing the game but um I don't know what you thought of the the way Jardim set up, especially and uh, especially in, in midfield as well. It, it was frustrating for me, really, in all honesty. I, I felt that Monaco were maybe a little bit too risk adverse in a game that, in the end, really, we mentioned this in the preview show on Thursday that it's their season now. Obviously, the Champions League is gone. There was no Europa League after that. There was. The, the title's gone. They've got pretty much second signed, sealed and delivered. The Coupe de France has gone out of their grasp. So this was really a chance for them to at least win something to finish the season. And it felt like with the momentum that they'd built over the sort of last couple of months, they, they've only lost one game since December in all competitions. You have to think, or two games, sorry. And they, it was a Champions League game against Porto and the, and the Coupe de France match against um, Leon, which shows you how excellent they've been in the last uh, several months and how much they've grown into, as a team. But this just felt like they were a little bit tentative, um, a little bit... And, and in fairness to them, they did go down early. The early goal really didn't help at all. Um, they, they they weren't quite solid enough in midfield, I thought. Um, but at the same time, they were lucky. Ronnie Lopez has that great chance as well where he tries to dink it over Kevin Trapp and he's been terrific recently and it just goes a little bit wide. I felt Jovetic has got to be disappointed that he didn't get a start. We talked about him a few times in the last couple of weeks. He's really been in great form. You have to think that um, he had it in the back of his mind, Jardim, of, of risking it and going for a 4-4-2 with Jovetic and Falcao and giving it a real go. Um, but that never really seemed to have materialised. Maybe play Fabinho and Tielemans together and just go for it. Although Moutinho did play relatively well, really, from a, from a deeper role. But yeah, it just felt like a missed opportunity in the end of things. And at the same time that, that you you will also Ryan wind back, and many people will really, to the, the strange sort of controversial moment in this game. And I want to get your thoughts on it as well, Peter. Is that, well, strange decision that um, obviously Falcao's goal um, it was it was 2-0 at the time. It was about about 35 minutes in and, and Falcao scores a goal at the near post. Now, replays show you that at one angle, when, you, when you're looking at it at real time and at a slight angle, it, it looks genuinely like he's offside. But you look at the angle down the line and he is, I think he's behind the ball, but many are saying at least level with the ball as Ronnie Lopez cuts it into the box, which would be onside um, under the rules. And it seems a strange one that they've, not quite picked that up. I, d I don't quite understand how they've missed that one, really, uh, Peter. The only thing I can think of is they weren't paying attention to that part of the rule and were focusing maybe on him and the last man. And he, in that regard, he is maybe just about offside. But unfortunately, the letter of the law was that he really was onside for that goal and could have been at that time, potentially, when Monica were getting more of a foothold in the game, a potential game changer because in that second half, um, they didn't really have any momentum. Yeah, I think that's one of the things about uh, VAR in general is that whilst it is desire trying to make it, you know, certain decisions, especially these ones where it should be clear cut, you're either offside or you're not, it, the, you know, you're trying to make them as rudimental 100% as possible, is that at the end of the day, it's a video assistant referee and that referee at the moment is a human being it's not a, it's not robotic or anything like that so there's still the potential for error um and i think we did see that you know he, he, he was offside he was onside it seemed uh, from that other angle i guess i mean it depends what angles they they see with with var it was different to the uh, penalty decision where which is subjective so you have the, that dichotomy within var where if it's something that you know is subjective and you know it's down to the referee's opinion then 
the most they can do is an, an on-field review where he goes over and stares at the telescreen and takes an absolute age. Whereas this one had nothing to do with Clement Turpin, the ref. You know, that's all in the hands of the, the VAR. He should be able to call that because it should be clear. And the fact that he gets that wrong perhaps shows that, you know, it could be just teething issues, but it also shows that, you know, that there is potential for error. I mean, they are looking at a screen, trying to do it as quickly as possible. I mean, there is the pressure to do it as fast as possible, and, and maybe that's part of it. Um, clearly, they haven't seen all the the camera angles. That, that must be the, the conclusion from it, because when you do see that one angle where it does seem to be, you know, parallel to to sight and, and, and the whipped cross comes in, Falcao is, is level with the ball, potentially even with, with Lopez's foot after striking it as well. So um, it was disappointing from Monaco's perspective because, yeah, as you were saying, it's, it, that was a key point in the game. Um, Monaco just started to build a little bit of momentum to get the goal back there. It's a completely different tie, changes the complexion, and then they're right back in it. Um, of course, there was that Lopez chance as well, which, you know, in a, any other day of the week, he probably tucks that away. But... Yeah, I think they'll, they'll really feel stunned. I think Falcao came out with some with some stern comments as well. Um, I just I think it must be part of the teething process. I think you know, I don't know. I don't think VAR is going anywhere. Um, I think the, one of the major issues for me is that I think it was the semi final between PSG and Red, where the referees' referrals to VAR and then going over to do on field reviews with the television screen just led to absolute chaos and that that left that made it difficult for him to manage and we didn't see that in this game I think Terpam did well with it um but it's these sort of teething issues that they've, they've got to get a hand on and you know while they're trying to trial all these things you know there are there are trophies on the line so these are these are major calls but I, I'm not sure I mean what, I wonder what you what's your stance on, on VAR I think you know is it a positive thing do you think I love VAR. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll defend VAR to help because the clear thing here wasn't the the system itself being an issue. This was the people that were watching the TV cameras having an issue. They they clearly did. I they they must have had that angle to hand, and, and why they wouldn't have had that angle to hand, I, I don't know. But they they clearly made an error in that one. And the thing is, the frustrating thing about that for me more than anything is that they got the penalty decision right and quite clearly right uh, very quickly as well and that was really well done um, it's just a shame that they've maybe rushed this one they've maybe not seen the angle and in the end they've they've made a little bit of a mistake that puts the things like VAR in a bad light I mean you can argue more about something like the the decision that a lot of people come up with like the uh, human son won it for, for Tottenham a couple of months ago and the, the the strange wiggly lines against Huddersfield against for Manchester United as well that's the system being a little bit funny and maybe some teething problems but in all honesty that's clear human error um, and that needs to be sorted out and something that the the French authorities, when they are doing something like VAR, look at and see why that wasn't picked up by the referees that were watching that camera and why they didn't have that. If they didn't have that camera angle to hand and quickly, why they didn't. Um, because that's the most important one and the clear one that gives them the decision that they needed to make. But uh, hopefully that kind of teething problem will sort of smooth over there. And those kind of mistakes really will uh, will help make that a little bit better. But congratulations to Paris Saint-Germain. And uh, I'm sure plenty of their players will be delighted to add that little mini version of the Coupe de la Liga that you get a um, trophy that you get uh, to their mantelpiece. And uh, uh, they hopefully will coast to a couple more in their eyes, at least anyway, for the, for the rest of the season, really. But back to Liga matters because there were some big moments, really, especially for those near the bottom of the table. As we start to hit the final few hurdles, really, there's only six games left uh, coming this weekend, at least. And a, a major, major result at the bottom of the table to start off with, Peter. And that's Amiens' 1-0 win at Lille, which seemed a little bit eerie watching back on the highlights as well with the, with the empty stadium and everything like that. But um, it's a massive result for both teams really in a sense because for Amiens um, they'd only won one game in their last five yet, and it was a really big win to take on one of those teams that uh, is in and around the, the drop zone with them and put some separating space between the actual automatic zone as well which is even more important but for Lille a tough game where a lot of their chances really came from Benzia shooting from long range and, and straight at uh, Baptiste Gutner straight down his throat. And then the goal comes from their own throw-in 
in Amiens half, and it's taken off them. It loses our uh, um, Julio um, uh, right back, left back. Sorry, uh, loses the ball, and Mendoza's in, and a guy thinks about possibly coming over, but he's covering the player, so he kind of ends up standing still, and then uh, Mike Mignon just has it go through his legs, essentially, and then that's the Amiens result for them and maybe could have nicked another one near the end as well. It's honestly, Peter, a massive, massive result for, for starting with Amiens, really. That's now put them six points ahead of Lille. They were three points before the game began. And that is, at this point of the season, really a massive, massive result and a massive points gap for them to take. Yeah, it's a vital result for, for Amiens. I think it's even more so when you look at their remaining fixtures. They've still got Lyon, Monaco, PSG and OM to play. Um, it was absolutely vital that they won this game. I mean, that that cushion they've got, six points to the automatic, five points to the playoff, is it will be huge because, I mean, I mean they've got Con next, which is a winnable game in, with their current form. But with those heavy, big games to come uh, on the horizon and, you, you, you need to, they needed to win and they did and they they were very fortunate as you're outlining I think that you could take a lot from the goal they conceded and with the two respective sides I think you had uh, a Leo side that was nervous you know that they've had so many different things thrown at them um, this season from Bielsa's illogical nonsense to um fans storming the pitch and, and, and so forth. And he had that atmosphere and it just everything seemed to be encapsulated in that one moment. It just sort of the clumsiness of, uh, I can't think it was Alonso or whoever's on the ball, just stumbling. Uh, and then Mendoza nipping in, as you said, yeah, just not sure which way to go. And then obviously for Man- Mike Magnon, who's done relatively okay this season, uh, it's gone for his legs. So uh, it's, yeah. And from an Amion perspective, you know, they weren't particularly spectacular. But they they set out with with a with a goal in mind, you know. They were they they were very well organised, nothing spectacular, and they got a bit of luck. And, and uh, Palicio would be really pleased with that. And I think Amiens have been one of the sides who've played some really good stuff this season. Um, they've come out, they've come up from from Ligue 2 uh, after back to back promotions, and they've they've been impressive. And at times they've taken um, the game to to sides, and I think they it's nice to see that they're doing well. Um, it's not as though they've been, I mean, they've been through a, uh, a struggle recently with their recent form, but as you were saying, it's such a massive, massive result. And just the, I think that the way that sides have spread out a little bit will be quite reassuring for them. And and knowing that sides like Cars are, are in free fall um, will, will be a boost for them. But they need to get to 40 points. That's probably the target. Um, I don't, I think less than that might be enough this season. Just judging from how how slow the, the the bottom four now are starting to chug forward, but I think from for Lille it's it'd be so disappointing because they weren't that bad. I think they were the, the more proactive as they had to be, as they have been of late. Um, but to to concede the goal the way they did, um, and then Guntner in really good form in, in goal for Amiens as well, a couple of good stops. But it's, you need your luck to go your way at this point in the season and. I think that's that'll be a real. That's a, it's a real. Just everything about that game as well, as you were saying, behind like, no fans in the stadium because of the the pitch invasion. Um, it just, it just, it, it's all so so very worrying for Leo, and you just wonder where, how if Gautier can can pull them out of this rut. I mean, if he is talking about his future, I'm pretty sure every player in that dressing room is considering his future, um, thinking about where they're gonna be next season. Uh, which obviously plays into family, whatever. All these sort of thoughts are, are, are key in, in a relegation battle like this, but especially the side with a number of bigger players, as you would probably call them, in terms of the contracts and how much they've been signed for and what they're considering. So uh, it's, yeah, it's nervous times if you're a Lille fan. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a stroll-crushing one, really, because we've mentioned, really, that that result against Monaco, although obviously it went ended up going the wrong way, it felt like a positive move forward for them. They got themselves ahead. They weren't really afraid. After that result against Montpellier, you always thought that it could really kill them off. And, and the problem was, in this game, it was it was so quiet at the times and, and they looked like they were out of ideas. I mean, 
I mentioned in the, the bit I said earlier that when you're having Yassin Benzia as, as your best player taking pot shots from 20 yards out, there's, there's something wrong, really, because he's never been a prolific goal scorer. He's never really been adept at that. And that's exactly the kind of thing in these kind of games against big, big, big games, six-pointers, really, against teams that you should be beating at home. You can't be having that, really. You can't be having that attitude of, of taking gambles from distance when you can keep passing, keep playing it and, and hopefully create a situation where you can try and attempt from closer in. It was just, if that's the best you can muster, then you really have to worry. Even if their games are left against Bordeaux, Gangon, Metz, Toulouse, uh, Dijon at, at home as well, with Dijon being so poor away from home, you think that there's options for them to still gain points. But then you look at games like this and you're thinking, where are they going to come from? That's, Ironically, since the Paris Saint-Germain game, that's the first game they've not scored in. But it looked like they could have played all all weekend and they wouldn't have scored again. It was a really poor result. And like you say, for Amiens, it's enormous because now they have they have got four really, really difficult games. But they've got three against Caen, Strasbourg and Metz where if they can pick up four points, six points... Six points would be massive, but even four points, if you win that game against Mets and maybe take a point from Strasbourg, that's probably them safe now, which is an enormous achievement. I don't think anyone would have seen Amiens staying up this season. I think that the job they've done there that with the resources they've got and everything like that, I mean, I mean, Christophe Pellissier has to take an enormous amount of credit for what he's done for this club. They they looked dead and buried from the first couple of months. They they weren't winning games. They, they had a couple of nice results. They had a really good November that set them up quite nicely, but then they started slipping again. But slowly they've grinded out some some results. I mean, they've only lost once in the last six, which is really, really impressive. And, and given that essentially those games against Lyon, Monaco, PSG, Marseille are free hits. If they can take anything from any of those games, if something seems to happen, that will be an absolutely massive bonus because you look at teams like Lyon behind them, you look at Troyes as well, another side that, that struggled at the weekend and they can't seem to find a, any kind of semblance of form at the moment. You start to think that Amiens, if they can get like another win under the belt because it feels like teams like Cong, teams like Angers that are just about a point above them, that if you can get to that 37, 36, 37 point mark, you might just be about safe with the with the teams below them. So massive credit to them, but Lille are, are in a real mess. Um, they must be serious, if they weren't before, seriously, seriously worried. But another six pointer that we had at the weekend was the, the nice little derby that doesn't come around that very often. It probably won't happen either next season as well between Strasbourg and and, and Metz and a, and a feisty one and a, and a one where we saw two two good goals, two scrappy goals, a, a red card each for them for one crazy foul, one one bit of argy bargy that led to a second booking for for the Metz defender as well. It, it was a, a feisty little affair and and an interesting game really because we keep saying it. It felt like if they could win in this one, that Mets, especially with the results that happened above them as well, that would have been a really big result for them. But it feels like one of the other slow little daggers, almost like a, <laughs> I feel like it's a game of, um, of, of pop-up pirate where we're just sliding slowly the swords in into to Mets before they pop out and, and leave us for League Deux. But um, at the moment, and I don't know where that analogy come from, don't ask. <laughs> um, but um, it feels like they... they they almost got something from this one. They they were ahead through Molle. They they had the chances as well. They, they got at a Strasbourg side that have been really indifferent in the second half of the season, but they couldn't quite force it over the line. And for Strasbourg at the same time, the frustration will be that they allowed them to do that. And when they did go ahead with 11 minutes to go, they couldn't quite muster the, the gumption to really go for it and take a win that would have really wrestled the relegation battle back in their favour uh, and possibly put them even clear of it. Yeah, it was a great game, actually. Um, it's just a shame it's a, it's a derby that we may not see for next season, as you're saying. Um the thing with Mets is, because of the way that the sides above them have just sort of like stumbled forward drunkenly towards safety, I think there are, if you think back to a couple of results lately, they've picked up a lot of draws. They conceded late against Toulouse, they conceded late against Gangol. And you just think, you know, a couple of results either way, and suddenly we're looking at a completely different complexion. Uh, and again, here, they've conceded late and, and not been able to see out and take home the. 
a vital three points. Um, I think, I know we, we've written them off frequently all season, but it, it does look like curtains for them. Uh, it's a big point for Strasbourg. I think momentum you can generate from, from derbies is, is key. Uh, it's a great finish from, from Seca. Absolute thunder blaster to, uh, to, to nick the point. And it's, a, it's an entertaining spectacle as well. A um, couple of red cards. Thierry Loray getting very animated on the, on the touchline. Um, I think Mets went ahead for a penalty that wasn't a penalty. I think we were talking about VAR earlier. That wasn't quite useful for... It didn't hit Bakary Kane's hand. I think it was Rivière's hand. I can't remember. I, no. I'm I'm still so surprised that the ref spotted that one. You know, there was such a, a conglomerate of people in that moment that if it, it could have hit anything, I think it probably hit about three hands that he didn't even <laughs> do. It. But uh, yeah, a strange one. But yeah, so it's 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 a it's a good point for for Strasbourg. I think they would have wanted to to have uh, pulled clear a little bit more. Um, but for Mets, it's you know it's there's a lot of what might have been. I mean, their season has been wretched, and obviously their their start was appalling. But it, at times it seemed like they could, and perhaps maybe they'll think they, they should have pulled themselves a little bit close to contention. I mean, they are seven points off. Um, they do have Leo Angel and Amiens to play, so potentially there's some room for them to come back. But they've, you know, they've been some really good performers of late. Like if you look at uh, Mollet, who's on the score sheet again, uh, he's been impressive. Uh, Rivière's done okay. Rue hit his form, but it's fallen away a little bit. Um, you know, it's, it, there is that what might have been, but for, for Strasbourg, it's they were that exciting outfit before, and I think this game sort of rekindles that a little bit. Um, but we they've they have really struggled of late. Um, they haven't been able to find that same rhythm. Rhythm. Uh, Martin Terrier, for one, has really not performed anywhere near the standard that he was playing before he agreed his deal to join Lyon, um, and that's been a, a major blow for them. I mean, they've been reliant on goals from Bahokem, um, who. You know, wasn't in the pitch at the start of the season. So it's, yeah, it's an important result. I think defensively, they've, they've got so many concerns. And I think if they can somehow avoid shipping too many in their running, they should be okay. I think there are sides worse than them. And I think the the advantage of Lemay now is, is, is really, really important. And you contrast that with, say, Lille. And obviously, they've now got a stadium ban. But the difference in atmosphere can really push you over the line. So I think that, that bodes well for them. Uh, but yeah, it's a great game, really entertaining. Um, it's a shame for Mets. It's another what if. Mm, yeah, it's a fr- frustrating one, isn't it? Because I, I would have really liked to see this derby again next season. But I suppose the only way we're really going to see that is they they both uh, tumble into league. Two. But yeah, I think it's still for Strasbourg. It, okay, it'd be frustrating that they couldn't win this one. Much like it was frustrating they couldn't win the one the week before prior against Toulouse as well but um, well, before the international break I should say in fact but the positive for them is there's, there's games left obviously um, but this Angers, Saint-Étienne Amiens, Nice Rennes, Lyon, Nantes it feels like there's games within that that they're not too difficult we mean you're facing Lyon but at home so that's a positive and they've been good against the bigger sides this season they face Nice and Saint-Étienne who are both playing better recently but again because they're both home games that does really help and facing teams like Amiens and Angers who are still around them opportunities to win the game against Nantes we will talk a little bit about them in a moment as well but, um, because they're in not great form they seem to have already switched off and in the last game of the season if they're not fighting for, for that fifth spot or or are out of the running for that, which they probably will be at this rate anyway. Um, that's a great chance for them to pick up points at the very end, at least for them. It feels like they it just feels like they could have been sealed and it could have been a little bit more. I think it will be the the, the poor form of those below them, especially those three clubs, Mets, uh, Lille and Twao are currently really in the mire that, that they won't really be in any kind of real trouble um, come the end of the season in the end. But um, it does feel a shame for Mets. They've, they've been very valiant in this sort of second half of the season and they've put up a real fight and unless some kind of miracle really happens now, I know we've mentioned that the great escape could have been happening a couple of times, but it does feel like unless they can build something before those games against Lille, Angers, Amiens, because they might be irrelevant by then, uh, they might already be down essentially. So let's hope that they can maybe put something crazy up against Leon and Ren and, and we still have one last uh, fight of the Titans really for the for the Mets side that have uh, at least given us something 
when they gave us pretty much nothing in the first half of the season, at least anyway. I just want to briefly, Peter, talk about um, a couple of other sides below there. I mean, it's pretty poor for most of the sides around there. Twa lost, Toulouse lost, uh, Cone lost as well. Um, Angers, unfortunately for them, obviously it counted their PSG game uh, from the the couple of weeks ago before the international break where they played that stranger midweek game. But for Twan to lose two pretty poor results that kind of keeps them in the mire. But it's an interesting one next week for everyone because for those bottom six, Amiens, Strasbourg, Toulouse, Twan, Lille and Metz, none of them play each other. So this is quite an interesting weekend really because this not none of them will sort of fight each other out at least anyway Strasbourg at least have someone maybe like Angers that's a, a little bit safer than but this weekend's an interesting one because Peter with them not facing each other um, it could be a little bit of a battle royale really that teams will be looking at TV screens really especially teams like uh, um, or the, most of them are in the multiplex to be fair other than Mets which is even better for them so there'll be people on the sidelines probably looking at monitors thinking how the other games are going that It'd be an interesting little multiplex, a little bit of a, an extra to the multiplex at least anyway, but um, an interesting weekend for them where you can't take points off of anyone else. Time to try and get them yourself, isn't it? Yeah, it takes away that cup final uh, edge to, to games, not having that. And that that will, well, you still have that pressure, so we'll, we'll see how they fare. I think the one exception for me is Amiens Vicant. I still, I think that is equally a, a relegation struggle, just in terms of how Con's form has just completely capitulated. I mean, they had that terrible run in, into December, where I think it's like one win in nine. Uh, and then in 2018, they just haven't been able to bring themselves back to life. Um, three, uh, was it three straight defeats now? They've only won three times this year. It's, they're, they're showing really worrying signs. And against Montpellier, they were, the game was done within about 28 minutes, 29 minutes or, and you just wonder with their fixtures to come, they've got to play all the sides below them. They are 35 points, six points clear of the playoff. I, I, you know, they'll definitely be looking over their shoulders. Um, and with Amiens, they'll be boosted from that, that, that little result. They'll be determined to, you know, secure their safety. I think that could be a really big, big game of the lot, but more generally, I think, as you were saying, I think for, for the other side, it's a lot, for a lot of them, it's a free hit in a way. Um, Mets, I think, well, against Lyon, that's, that's almost done. Strasbourg-Angers, that'll be a, a tight game. Um, Angers were closer to their safety, but they're not secure either. Um, and I think also Dijon will put up a, a, a stern fight for, for Toulouse, who... You know, come back to life under under De Beve. I mean, they were poor against Lyon. They didn't offer very much at all going forward. Um, but I think, as you were saying, I think it, it offers a different dynamic this weekend um, as as to what we can we can look for. Uh, but yeah, I think I think Patrice Garon and, and Cole have really got to be sitting on the edge of their seats a little bit in terms of you know you've got <laughs> need to hurry up and wake up. I mean, the goals they conceded were poor, especially the second one from a set piece. Um, and that's against Montpellier, sorry. Um, so, you know, there, there are some, I think in Bordeaux, you know, like, I mean, you're looking at that 37-point mark. And, I mean, both, I think Bordeaux would be fine, but it's, I, there are some sides that really are struggling for form, and that will make a difference when you're playing them. I think Lille will, will smell blood again when they, when they go to the, the Atlantique to play Poyet's Bordeaux. So, you know, there, there are points to be taken this weekend, that's for sure. Um but I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on Kong especially? They're sinking, aren't they, a little bit? I think it's 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 been a strange season for them and, and a strange season for, it seems like Kong every season, it seems like a strange season, but they, they have really dipped um, over the last couple of weeks, really. Three straight losses really uh, stamp uh, the authority on that. But at the same time, they have these games where, like their last win back in March against uh, Strasbourg, where they, they were the better side for a long period of it, they, the draw against Ren, I remember watching and, and thinking that, again, they were they were good for long periods of that, probably deserved to win. They were good against Nantes a couple of weeks before that. Um, they do seem to pick up the odd win every so often that has kept them afloat. And I think that, especially in the next, well, looking at their next four games, really, Amiens, uh, uh, Toulouse, uh, Metz and Troyes, they're going to get pit three points from one of those games. And I, I think that probably just about saves them. Again, they're another team. The qualities below them have probably um, done them enough. And the fact that they 
have been in poorer form. They have played all the sides above them, at least anyway. So um, getting three points for them will probably just about do it because that'll make them on, on 38. And you think looking at Dijon now, you cannot imagine Dijon or Gengon being involved in, in any shape or form. So getting to that points tally will, will just about see them through. I can't imagine they'll uh, see the rest of the season through as, as losing. So I think they're probably just about safe. But it is obviously an opportunity, I think, for, for a team... Uh, well, for any team really, but for a team like Amiens who, who know as well the same, that a victory for them probably just about does it as well. Um, it's a great opportunity and an interesting one for the weekend for both of them because they'll feel like uh, they can maybe uh, think about next season if they can win that one. Uh, on to a team that's really gone under the radar really in the last couple of seasons, well, last couple of weeks at least anyway, because I wasn't aware of this, but it's been somewhat of a quiet turnaround at Saint-Étienne, who are now unbeaten in nine under Jean-Louis Gasset, and punctuated with that 3-0 win away to Nantes at the weekend, where they really dominated the game, really, which seems strange to think about that. The Saint-Étienne team that, that really dipped in the first half of the season and weren't great in January either, but a bit, like I say, unbeaten in nine, um, that's with five victories and four draws, which maybe balances it out a little bit more. But when I do say the draws are against Marseille, Lyon, uh, Dijon and Rennes, you'd say two of those are, are commendable draws and, and one um, a, a team around them in Rennes where you say, especially away from home, you take a point, but they've kept two clean sheets recently. They're, they're, they're not conceding as many. They find some goals in this one with, with Remy Cabea uh, setting up a goal and, and scoring twice himself as well. Uh, Peter, they've, quietly gone about their business but they've turned things around and are even now um looking at possibly if, uh, fighting for that fifth place position as well which is uh, almost unfathomable even about three four well about a month ago you would have never even thought about them um, that being the issue yeah they've turned things around quite spectacularly really i think we think back to the you know the the five one at, at leon the crowd trouble the the mess that, that ensued after garcia left Sable experiment, it just it everything seemed to be falling apart. And we were talking about San Etienne in the relegation struggle, you know, they were one of the sides down there in the mire, very much in the mix. And because it was so tight, they've just been able to pull themselves clear. And now <laughs> looking at it, they're what three points off fifth, which is you know, it's absolutely extraordinary. Um, and I think a lot of it is due to what they did in, in January, not, not just in terms of. The, the players they brought in, but in terms of the mentality change, I think that that really has helped. Um, it's obviously epitomised by Mathieu Debussy, obviously of a formerly of Arsenal, who has just completely come to life and has got his eyes set firmly on that right back spot in the uh, France squad. And you wouldn't you wouldn't hold it against him based on his current form. He's he scored three times now since he's rejoined. Um, but him, uh, Subotic as well, another big name's come in, and Villa, another well-known name in, in French football from his time at Rennes, and then Tep. And we talked about those names, and I mean, while they all individually haven't necessarily, with the exception maybe of Debussy, and Villa's done quite well, they haven't exactly set the league alight. Uh, it's just that, I think, that boost that, that they needed, and they've turned that into to really good form. And Cabela put in a really good display against Not, and I mean, he's he's had a very quiet season. Um Another Newcastle connection, of course, and a couple of goals and assist. The second goal was really well taken finish as well. Um, it just shows that confidence is starting to, you know, spread through the ranks. And Bamba's looking good. Um, we're almost getting that early season Bamba that we saw before that contract dispute that sort of derailed him a little bit. So, and yeah, you know, they're on the best run since since 2015, I think, is what I read. So that's you know that's really really impressive uh, stuff and. Because it is so tight, they're on 42 points. It's 45 points for Montpellier in fifth, along with Rennes and Nice. And, you know, you'd fancy them potentially to certainly be involved in that. Um, not sure what's happened to Nantes. Um, since the turn of the year, they've been poor. They had that great start, didn't they? And it's just, you know, the, 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 the fine margins of Ranieri, where it's so, it's, you know, it's on one side it can be brilliant, but it's not far away from being abject as well. Um, they've got Salah missing goal, missing sitters for fun. It's uh, a little bit concerning for them. And I mean, they were comfortable in fifth. Um, and they've allowed all these sides, these ch the chasing pack, to to catch them. It's like the the, con the condensed side of the table has just shifted upwards. Um, so, you know, with Nantes and Freefall, I mean, Nice certainly are a threat now. I mean, they're in great form. And so are Rennes, 
well, and Montpellier, to be fair. I think they're all in good form with the exception of Nantes. So it won't be easy for them to, to, to sneak into those European places. But the fact that we're even mentioning them in the same breath is, is you know, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, I can't believe it. I can't believe some of the things that were happening, really. I mean, they were attacking um, at times in this game. I, could, I, could, I, had to re- I had to adjust my eyes and make sure I needed to wear glasses and stuff like that. It was it was crazy, especially in the third goal. They had a four-on-three at one point. It was it was really, really good to see them be a little bit more vivacious with their football. And, and that seems to be growing with the confidence they're gaining from winning games. Some of them are a bit honestly have been a bit scrappy um a couple of goals from Nevin Zabotic in, in recent games have have pushed them across the line really but in this one Cabela was great creative and, and scored a couple of goals and did those things that we remember from Montpellier especially the the arriving late at the box that third goal was really really reminiscent of his time there of of scoring from long range when the when the defenders would back off him and he would curl one into the bottom corner with with expert position it was it was a really excellent display and like you say Bamba Hamuma um, they were all just had an extra energy to them they wanted to play football they wanted to get forward and the midfield of of, of Selnesh and and, and Vio were winning the ball and, and and using it and creating and being positive with the defending they were they were willing moving forward and it just lifted everything from them and I know it helped playing a non side that look like on their beach already and they were really really poor in this one there was a clip of uh, a couple of attempted touches by Emiliano Sala that was a, a very nice watch it again uh, Bambi on ice always seems to come to mind at least anyway um but they they just have a different energy about them they didn't have even at the start of the season when we were positive on them they they weren't as um, authoritative in in their play and have a belief in just going on the front foot and being on the front foot and creating their own chances because this kind of team looks a million times better. It looks like they can do something. It looks like a team that you can build around if they can sign Romy Capella permanently, if they can um, bring in some of these loan players on on, on solid deals. They, they have a team to build around now and a, and a structure and, and something like that. And I know we, we all kind of derided Jean-Louis Gasset being in charge thinking that his time at Montpellier last season proved that he, he really wasn't ready, or really wasn't up to this level anymore. But he's proved us wrong. I, I don't know if he will stay on as manager at the end from the end of the season for next season. But if he doesn't, he's given a real great basis for someone creative and young to 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 come on and, and do something with this team because uh, he's really turned them around and they look a much much better prospect for it, especially for for next campaign. They'll be delighted. They're nowhere near the bottom. They'll be absolutely ecstatic that they might be potentially getting a, a, a Europa League place. But at the same time, like a few sides around there, they might be hoping they reserve that a little bit to uh, to stay off a little bit. But uh, we shall wait and see if they uh, they keep doing something like that. But credit to them, they've been they've been much better in recent weeks. So it's time for our uh, plane to Russia um, segment today. And the, the player I've chosen for us to discuss this evening is um, Eintracht Frankfurt forward Sebastian Aller, who's had a really good season. Um, in Germany's first in in the league, having been in the Eredivisie with Utrecht for a, for a couple of seasons, a, a little bit of an unknown t- quantity to some people, even in French football. And Peter, obviously, because he came from Auxerre and, and Ligue 2 football, and that's probably a smite on him with him, his background on there and, and in Eredivisie and, and not scoring many goals necessarily this season, despite his impressive performances. That's maybe something that is at the moment holding him back from from international football. Yeah. Uh, I think that's part of it. I mean, there are a number of players who seem to have slipped out of the net. I mean, because of the the, the wealth of talent that seems to be the seems to be in French football at the moment, you've got players like like Ale and and uh, Longley. I think he's gone to, to Sevilla, and then you've got Pavar as well, who has made that jump from a Bundesliga side to as a relative unknown. To now, because, you know, he's very much in contention to to earn himself a spot on 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 Deschamps' flight to to Moscow. So. You know, I think there are there are that's just, just hidden gems everywhere in Europe now that that are French and and Ale is definitely one of them. I think that being out of the limelight hasn't helped him in in that sense. Um, I think for me, he's 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 still a player who's you know it's a bit too soon to con, you know to consider him pushing for for a, for a starting berth when you consider the the wealth of talent France have got. But uh, yeah, he's you know he's a, he's certainly an option, and and I think we talk about. The kind of player he is, um, he's, that, he's a target man. He's very good with his back to goal. 
Um, and that's the kind of thing that gets Didier Deschamps going, you know, that, that keeps him warm at night, those ideas of a big target man, like, you know, the Olivier Giroud mould. And he's also got a few worldies in him. Um, there's a brilliant, brilliant goal he scored against Stuttgart earlier this season that Bundesliga fans, I'm sure, will will rave about. And, I mean, he's played for a Frankfurt side that have done quite well by most accounts, I think, um, pushing for Champions League. Um, I think the step up to the Bundesliga uh, was a bit tough for him uh, in terms of his, his goal scoring term, but he's still chipping in with goals. Um, I mean, he was prolific in, in the Netherlands, but that's not difficult. Uh, we can see from, from Memphis to Pi's transition that it takes time to, to really adapt to, to a different level and a different way of playing the game. And I think that's certainly the case with, with Ale. Um, I think um, for me, it's a bit too soon, but I will hear your arguments for why he should go. <laughs> um, well, I, I will preface this with being, I, I'm a pretty big fan of, of Sebastian Alley. Um He's my kind of forward, really, and it won't surprise many that I, I like a, a big, burly centre forward and don't take that the wrong way. But um, he's, I, he, I know, I just think there's a couple of things here with, with Sebastian Alley, and I, I'll start my argument really with his football, which is the most important thing, really. And the argument that he's obviously been at Utrecht and why didn't Liga clubs look at him when he was at Oxiria is fair enough. I, I thought he, he did really well. I think the positive thing that he's done at Utrecht and he's continued it um, at Eintracht Frankfurt is not necessarily the goals he scores because he does score really good goals and it is for his height and his strength as well. He's really good um, with the ball at his feet as a, as a finisher, but not just that. Um, he, he, add something bringing other players in. I mean, you look at the goals that Kevin Prince Boateng has scored this season for them and the amount of times that Ale has been involved in that and Rebic next to him and the the other Serbian forward, his name escapes me now. I think it's Yeah, yeah, Luka Jovic, that's it. Yeah, he's, he's been especially recently very good for Antrecht as well and the fact that he brings those kind of players into the game, he, he holds the ball up excellently and he lays it off and I think it's that factor that convinces me that he would be an interesting option option for France, a younger option than Olivier Giroud, a, a more consistently played option, um, obviously with with the, um, Giroud being mainly really a sub for Chelsea, uh, but even as an option, if they are going to start, as we expect really with Deschamps, that Olivier Giroud um, being the top front man, you would expect that you maybe need cover in that area, and I don't think in any way French footballers in Spain, in, in France, in England, I don't think there's anyone in that Giroud mould other than Sebastian Alley. Um, and Emmanuel Riviera at Mets, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lanru, surely. That, that would be the first choice. He's scored much more goals than mine. But uh, in all honesty, and he's still very young, he's still only 23, 24, and he, he is growing in confidence every day. And playing more Bundesliga football has sort of rounded him out a little bit more. And I, I expect him to probably kick on again next season, which will be another point that maybe he might be someone for the Europe championship squad maybe for 2020 but if he continues how he is and if Deschamps feels like he needs an option that will be someone like Giroud then I, I think he should be an option but let's be honest now uh, Peter does he make the plane no he doesn't make the plane but but I, I do take your points I think I think there would be you know a really good shot I think don't think Deschamps would be willing to risk the wrath of taking two players of the Giroud, the Giroud mould but if Giroud gets injured you know, you, you are looking around and Deschamps does want that alternative option. He's all about options in, in terms of his squad. It's rather than, you know, talent necessarily. It's about what they can offer. You know, you go back to the Fakir thing. Fakir is very much one thing. Whereas in Payet, you know, he can offer multiple things, which is why you get Payet favoured a little bit. And Sissoko's perennial existence in the squad was because of that. And, you know, take away Giroud out the squad and you throw in a Lacazette. Does he offer anything different really to, to the options that France already have? Not, not necessarily. So... You know, they're, they're, as an outside bet, he's actually thinking about it and he does actually have that, that going for him. And I think, you know, if, if Deschamps wants to gamble, then potentially he could get there. But I think it's all reliant on, on Giroud becoming a, a, a cropper, essentially. Um, but no, he doesn't make my plane. Yeah, I don't think he makes the plane either. Um, I would love him to go because I think he's an interesting option. I actually think he might be a more interesting option than Giroud, but he's not been tested at this level enough, which is 
a shame it would have been nice to be maybe give him these friendlies at least just to see how he how he would work and uh, much like he did with Wissam Ben Yedda but um, it wasn't to be really and I, I think that's the final straw for a lot of players that we might talk about later on as well well in future episodes that uh, they might have sort of missed the boat unfortunately which is also why we're talking about them but um, I think he's certainly someone he'll keep an eye on for, for the European Championships one with thinking that Giroud will be uh, by that point, 32, 33, that you're starting thinking it's his uh, international career. Well, it'll be even more than that. He's 31 now. So he, he'll be sort of 33 by the time that the tournament turns around um, and almost turning 34 because his birthday's in September. That um, He might not be really someone eligible for them to try and use in 2020. So maybe Alaire is that new option to be uh, to be the central striker and the big man in the, the very speedy, creative uh, era of, of French international football. But uh, I think uh, Russia might be a, a year, a couple of years too early at least anyway. But let's do our Ligue 1 snapshots to finish off with. And I'll, I'll obviously start with you, Peter. What's your Ligue 1 snapshot? Uh, well, first, I'll, I'll go with two quickly. Uh, one is, you touched on the intro, I think it's it's the absence of Mondonda and and Rami as well for, for their running. I think they're so important. Um, we've talked all season about how important he's been. Um, but especially Mondonda I'm talking about here, uh, that core of Marseille players who seem to make them tick over and the amount of times they've relied on him making fantastic saves. I think he's out for about six weeks, which is a massive, massive blow. And, and Rami's also out for the Europa League games against Leipzig. So they will be sorely missed for them. Um of course, Johan Pelé is coming in and, and, and he was outstanding last season. So it's not like they're short of options, but his influence on the field, I think, will be a sore miss. Uh, and the other one, uh, quickly, was uh, Thierry Olleray, just going back to the Mets-Strasbourg derby. <laughs> After Seca's, um fantastic equaliser, where he smashed it home. <laughs> Thierry Olleray, because there were scuffles after the, the, thing, the second red card between the benches, He's turned to the Mets bench and just stuck two fingers up. That's the image. There's an image of him doing that. Um, they made up at the end, him and uh, him and the Mets contingent. But <laughs> talk about taking the derby to heart. I mean, that'll, that'll be that'll be one that the fans will enjoy. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that'll endear him more to to the to the fans at least at, at uh, Strasbourg. I've also got two because I, I know unfortunately Rich couldn't join us this evening. He's, he's feeling a little bit under the weather, but I know his would definitely have been uh, Clement Grenier's free kick for for Gengon. It's his first free kick goal since uh, 2015, and it's great to see him back fit and playing football for first and foremost. But for him to do what he does best, and that's score terrific goals like that, I, I do hope that he can maybe um, after this half a season he's had and a good pre-season can maybe find another home at Gangomp and show us again how good he can be. But that was a little flash of, of the brilliance that Clermont Grenier had when he was at Lyon and getting linked with the teams across Europe. But it was really nice to see something like that. I, I think my last snapshot will be well, it was on our Twitter feed early this evening. If you've not seen it already, um, head on over there as well because there's some really, really great stuff from France football about uh, our favourite crazy boy in French football, and that's Hatem Ben Arthur, um, who did a number of things um, in his turmoilous time at Paris Saint-Germain so far that will be ending at the end of the season. It seems um, everything's pointed to there. He's mentioned it on his Instagram as well. But just to read some experts as well that's been on our Twitter feed today. Uh, Hatem Ben Arfa told Unai Emery in the spring of 2017 after Barcelona's uh, win and return back uh, to to victory that he would never pass the quarterfinals of the Champions League even with the best team in the world. Um, he <laughs> He's also mentioned that he is also known to do little in t- I- I- well, imitations of the PSG manager, uh, attempts to speak French for the other players that they've thoroughly enjoyed. Danny Alves requested that to the sporting director and to Maxwell um, to reinstate him, which was um, because of how good he was in training, but without success. Again, these are all according to France football. Um, after the end of a training session in April 2017, Hatton Ben Arfa joked to the Emir of Qatar, Al Tani, um, ha- about how he was more accessible than the president, El Halifi, um, which had been dodging meetings with the, uh, with the Frenchman. Um, he wasn't particularly happy with that. And as ensured, Ben Arfa hasn't played for Paris Saint-Germain again. Um, obviously, he's announced on his Twitter account that he's... Uh, he's um, Ending well, his contract ends in this summer. He's been thinking about how to celebrate his birthday on the fifth of April, so in a couple of days. So keep your eyes on his Instagram feed for that, um, because he's attempted to bring everyone pizza in the uh, PSG dressing room to pro- provoke the club staff. And um, just a nice person he is. Uh, in autumn 2016 training session, Unai Emery said the following to Hatton Banafa after a letter was being particularly selfish: uh, "Stop 
taking yourself to Messi. You're not Messi. Um, five months following his arrival, um, PSG director of football Patrick Kravik told Hatton Ben Arfa, you have to leave. Uh, the manager doesn't want you. We found you a club, Fenerbahce. You'll see Turkey is a good league. Uh, ben Arfa ignored him. Um, he also ignored an offer from Nice in the summer, which was ban offer and money for Jean-Michel Serri. Um, everything was agreed. Mario Balotelli was trying to recruit him, but Ben Arfa said no. Um, classic Ben Arfa stuff. It's been <laughs> nice, nice to hear about him again and uh, all the antics he's uh, seemingly got up to pit in uh, Paris Saint-Germain in his two years of, of non-football, at least anyway. And maybe we might see a renaissance in him in French football next season, or he might go to China. He might, wherever it takes him again, I, I'm sure many of us will follow. But that's all we have time for this week, at least on on. Ben Arthur cast, as it should be called now, at least. Anyway, my thanks to, to Peter and all of you listening at home. Do join us for the preview show right here on Thursday. And the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye. <laughs>